So, Adam, what do you think about us talking about all of the news that came out with regards to movies and television coming out of San Diego Comic-Con 2017? I don't give a shit. On this episode of Graphic Content. Stay a while and listen. He called you a cowboy. What in Sam Hill? What did he mean? What are you? I'm the abomination. The strongest mutant of all. Know this, swimming bird. Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. This blue eye perceives all things conjoined. I cared much for the word impregnable. The past. Sounds a bit too much like unsinkable. The future. What's wrong with unsinkable? Nothing. And the present. As the iceberg said to the Titanic. Sir, how's life? He seems nice. And we're back with episode 27 of the Graphic Content Podcast. My name is Jim Mason. And I'm Adam Messinger. And we're here to talk about all the movie and TV news coming out of San Diego Comic-Con 2017, much to Adam's chagrin. I'm so excited for this. You look a little chagrined. Is that like being kicked in the shin? I, I don't think so. I think it's I, something total. I think that you, I it think, sounds like a foreign word that has kind of shin in it. Yeah, but violent. Maybe, maybe it's French. I don't know. If you do know, we like to pimp it up front. It's the graphic content <laughs> Twitter account. You went there first thing. Did don't you like that? Yeah, yeah. It's at graphic podcast. At graphic podcast is our Twitter handle. If you know what the hell the word origin for chagrin is. Please let us know. Because fuck comic books, fuck origins. We want etymology. We, we, we need it, and we need it now, even though this is in the past. Um, I am now flummoxed. Well, we need it. <laughs> While we do need it now, we'll need it in the future. There is that. I mean, chances are I'm going to be flummoxed when we post this episode about something else, so I might as well be flummoxed now, right? Yeah, why not? Why, not? why the fuck not? Why the fuck not? You know, I, I'm going to tell you what we are going to do we are definitely going to get to the movie and TV news, but we forgot to mention some really important Eisner Award winners on the last episode. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. I was excited about the list when we first read it. Yeah. And yet, I don't. I think we just ran out of time, and I was just like, fuck, we can't, you know. And it was on the we got to get through all the, the, the awards. And I forgot to turn a page. <laughs> oh, it was, okay. It was literally on the back of the last page. This is why we don't write notes anymore. No, and well, <laughs> I'm writing notes on the notepad at, on the Mac here, and that's it. So, oh, okay. <laughs> and I can't see that in our very high tech graphic content studio. The high tech graphic content studio. You are correct about that. So, look, we're going to cover those bases really quick, and then we're just going to get into doing what talking heads do, and we're going to talk what we're looking forward to and what maybe we're not looking forward to when it comes to movies and. TVs from from the world of comics and stuff. Yes, normally I don't give a shit about this stuff, and it's not that I I dislike it. Yeah, it's more of an it's more of an apathy, like, and that's an apathy for the medium in okay. and of itself. Well, uh, it's just while I, I think you and Alan Moore would have a lot in common, then, <laughs> besides long beards. I well, mean, I'm just besides saying. being a genius writer. Oh, is that it? Yeah, yeah. 
And, <laughs> Why uh, am I the only one laughing at that? Anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> So, you know, now you got me all thrown off. <laughs> Fuck. I have flummoxed you now, you sir. You have flummoxed me. The shoe is on the other foot. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know where the fuck I was going Well, with that. I'll tell you where we are going to go, and we're going to talk about those Eisner Award winners where we were, uh, where we left off. Sounds good. Let's just, you know, if we forgot, let's just move on. And, okay. Can, uh, can we go? So should we start with the Hall of Fame people? We can do that, actually. So let's start. There are the judges' choices, which uh, I guess they're all allowed a choice, and then they have a pool to on, on from which they vote. Okay. So we're going to start with the judges' choices first. Uh, these are people by the names of Milt Gross, H.G. Peter, Antonio Prohias, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, and Dory Seda. These are all people who were instrumental in the early days of comics. Uh, notably amongst them... H.G. Peter. Yes, he is the co-creator of Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, his costume design for her, I mean, it still stands to this day. It's right up there. She's part of the Trinity for a reason. I mean, Superman's costume, uh, largely unchanged. Uh, it's, 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 it's evolved, evolved with the times, yep, yep. just like Batman's has, and just like Wonder Woman's, right. but the base always remains there. Pretty much. I mean, um, the color scheme is there. The silhouette is is pretty much the same. Obviously, she lost the, her skirt somewhere since 1930 and or 1940. And she found it again. And she found her skirt again. Yeah, she's wearing the Greek war skirt now. So, um, H.G. Peter, thank you for Wonder Woman. And everybody else, thank you for your contributions to the comic book industry. We're not going to pretend to be snobs. We no. have no fucking clue. I don't... I, I will speak my, for myself. I don't have any fucking clue who the other people are. And we're going to educate ourselves for that because we want to know, you know, and this is something that we're doing here on the fly as we normally do on these shows. We don't claim to be experts about every corner of comics history or uh, any corner the, the of comics. comics history. Yeah, but, but we're people who know stuff about comics and we will also tell you where that knowledge ends. And, you know, if you do know about it, Hit us up on Twitter at Graphic Podcast. Yeah, the thing we love about comics is there's there's such a storied history and there's so much to learn. Right. Um, and like the passing of fabulous Flo Steinberg. Now, I granted I'm older than you. I remember how they used to allude to the Marvel bullpen, but when I was reading Marvel comics in the seventies. There wasn't even a bullpen then. It was only in the early 60s when they had a bullpen of artists and writers all working together. And Flo Steinberg was Stan Lee's executive assistant, then known as a secretary, who also proofread all the comics and did a whole bunch of stuff for Marvel, odd jobs. Anything that needed to be cleaned up in a comic at the end of it, Flo would take care of it. She left over... You know, because she was doing so much work at Marvel by the end of the 60s, left because Stan would not give her a $5 an hour raise. Well, it sounds like she goddamn well deserved it. She did damn well deserve it, but $5 was a lot more in the late 60s than it was, let's say, in the 21st century. Well, even now, if I said, I want a $5 raise, my bosses would look at me and laugh. And tell you to go screw yourself. So Flo went on to get into underground comics uh, Flo's Comics with an X. So she was part of the underground comic scene that oh my, discovered a lot of talent. That's fucking crazy. I didn't um, know that. Yeah, and then she came back to Marvel before you know for many years in the eighties and early nineties, back as a proofreader. Huh. And she just passed away a couple of weeks ago. So that's something I know about comics history. And you know, it's not that we're dumb. It's just that 
we don't know the deep cuts of, of comics history. And if you're somebody who does, if you're an author or doing academic work on the history of comics, hit us up at our Gmail account, which is thereal.graphiccontent at gmail.com. We would love to talk to you and learn more ourselves about these pinnacle players, these underserved or under-recognized people that help make the comic industry what it is today. Yeah, for me personally, I find the industry of the comics every bit as interesting as the stories themselves that they make. And there have been some great stories. Maybe we'll do that on a future show about what's what are, what are some of our favorite behind the curtains current curtain. What are some of our favorite behind the curtain stories? That would be great. Of comics. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. So something for uh, something for the idea bin. Then there was. Let's move back to the Eisners. The Russ Manning uh, Award for the most promising newcomer went to a young lady by the name of Ann Jalba. That's spelled S Z A L B A. In case you want to look up her work called Bird Boy, which she was the writer and artist of. This is another proof. Another piece of evidence that Adam and I don't know everything when it comes to comics, because neither of us heard anything about this. Yeah, I had no clue who she was, but I'm excited now for new material to read. Exactly. If the nominating committee for the Russ Manning Award thinks it's worthy, we want to read it. So we're going to get on that. We forgot the voter's choice for the Hall of Fame. I forgot that. So let's go over the voter's choice for the Hall of Fame. I was so excited for this class. This, honestly, this is like... Our version of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, okay, we both love music, so we love the Rock yes. and Roll Hall of Fame. But seriously, it's like right up there for us with this. These are the voices of current pop culture. Who else better to induct? And there's a few here, but let's just start in alphabetical order. Gilbert and Jaime Hernandez, Los Bros Hernandez for Love and Rockets amongst a myriad of other works. People that are legends in the industry and i mean of course they're in the hall of fame but they didn't contribute to mainstream comics they developed independent comics and proved that comics are a storytelling medium just like film just like tv just like even music they all have different sides to them right and just like art house cinema not everybody is going to get into, not everybody is going to get into niche under, near underground or independent indie comics. But I'll tell you what, Love and Rockets should be a book that everybody reads at least once. I feel at like least. an asshole because I own the entire Love and Rockets. Oh, yeah? Uh, like all the trade paperbacks from Fantagraphics on Comixology. Uh-huh. I've not finished one. Oh, well. I'm hey, a giant poser, but I do want to read it. I have so. read some of the work. I can't say that I've read enough of the works. I And I will read more as I get more into trades. You know, it's it's something that I want to do. I want to diversify uh, my library, quite literally. Uh, then we have the inimitable, wonderful, great writer-artist, one half of Wolfman Perez, Teen Titans. I'm talking about George Perez has made it into the Hall of Fame. He's, you know, he's a legend. Uh, I think he's right past my generation, though. Okay. Uh, I felt like his work is good, but it didn't have the influence on me that it definitely had the generation well, before. Well, I mean, and I've said it on multiple episodes. I mean, if it wasn't for X-Men New Teen Titans, I don't know how I could have gotten through my teenage years. I mean, those comics were instrumental in understanding that I wasn't alone in feeling different. I mean, just, I am a monstrously tall human being. I'm six foot seven, and I finished growing when I was 15 years old. 
So when I discovered, I mean, I was always taller. So sophomore year, you were six foot seven. I was six foot seven. I was six feet tall in the sixth grade. Good I, God! I mean, were your teachers terrified of you? Uh, well, I was taller than my teacher in sixth grade, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, his last name was Thorson. Oh, so, so you were terrified of him? Yeah, I was terrified of him. If he was like one of Thor's actual kids, he would have just hit me to the other side of the earth. Um, <laughs> but but George Perez, I mean. This guy, I mean, I remember him from Marvel 2 and 1, from Avengers, uh, from JLA, from Justice League of America. They did with Jerry Conway back in the day and Len Wein. Which ties into, uh, they're going to pull, and I still believe it's true, they're pulling Steppenwolf from his story with uh, Jerry Conway uh, into into the current Justice League movie, which we'll get to later. I mean, that's just... I'm like, tingling. I mean, his work on Wolfman Perez, Teen Titans, I mean, again, I've already spoken about it a million times. I'm not going to overhype that. His later work. That's that where I had, got in. You know, his, some of his later work, I mean, when he came back with to help bring back the Avengers from the Heroes Reborn universe with Kurt Busiek, he showed he could still write... Or not right, because Kurt Busiek, he was co-plotting, basically, with Kurt yeah, Busiek. Yeah, there was definitely a synergy there. There was there was something going on, because I want to say they went for like 20 or 30-some-odd issues. More than that, they went really? almost 50. No shit. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a long time to be on a book for anybody, and those guys were just knocking it out of the park. And he was showing that he could still keep up with the young whippersnappers and deliver on a fairly monthly basis. I won't say it was perfectly monthly during <laughs> those yeah. days, but... Well, was, I know he ran into some health problems he at the did. time. He did. He is, uh, like me, a diabetic, so he, he's had some issues with it. I know he's had some eyesight issues. Psoriasis. Psoriasis. I know a big thing. You know, but this guy, he just keeps kicking whatever illness is ass back to where it came from, and then he bounces back with another project. It, it pauses him. Yep. It never stops him. That's right. That's right. So I was really great to see that. Uh, Walt Simonson. I mean, Batman is, he's always been a legend to me and he's one of the first, um, I hate to use the term old school, but but at this point he, he is old school and he's one of the first old school guys that I just grew to love. And he's not just an old school guy. He's still inspired. And this is why I love this podcast is that Adam will tell me straight up like George Perez, he was product of his time. Totally with him on that, you know. Um, they didn't know what the internet, they didn't know what high energy fusion was going to look. They didn't know about about TV or space travel or anything like that. He had to make it up from whole cloth. Walt Simonson has always drawn to the fantasy of superheroes and fantasy of of these great epics that he that he uh, has gravitated to. Whether it be you know his seminal run on Thor. I'm sorry. His work on Thor should be con, con, uh, compared to Lee and Kirby's contributions to the Thor comic book. His, his, I, I mean, Better Ray Bill yeah. is still a character that runs around the Marvel Universe. It pops up from time to time, that horse-faced genius of a character. I love Beta Ray Bill. I don't know how Simonson thought this up, but I mean, even the covered was it three thirty three? I believe that's what what it was. Is something that's still imitated to this day. Yeah, 
Yeah. And his ability, I mean, he came on and essentially resurrected the Thor title because they were about to cancel mm-hmm. it. And they said, just do whatever the fuck you want. So and he took that to heart. That, that's, and he took it to so much heart that they're making a movie essentially based in large part to his contributions to the Thor comic. It's called Thor Ragnarok coming out. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. Malekith from Thor the Dark yep. World. He, I don't know if he created that character, but he had a very big influence. He was When he used Malekith, it was dope. He I mean, wasn't anything to fuck with, no, that's for sure. I mean, Carnilla, the Enchantress... I mean, all the it, it, he had so many of the old Lee Kirby characters that he used in that epic, and he had an equal number of new shit that he put in there. He was the guy that gave us Thor the Thunderfrog. I oh, mean, that's right. That was his story when Thor was cursed by the Enchantress and turned into a toad. And there he is hopping through Central Park. And guess what? He's still Thor. So he's still the motherfucking god of thunder, bitches. He's just a frog. I mean, yeah. it was just... It was the shit. There was so much. Oh my god! I Nobody want... else has done a Balder miniseries. No. Oh Nobody my god! Nobody else. That's has. right. What was it? Son of Asgard. What it was, was Balder the Brave. Balder the Brave. Okay. And it was him and Sal Buscema. That's right. That the and great no... Sal Buscema. Yeah. I mean, another guy. I don't know if he's in there, but he goddamn well should be. He sh- if he's not in, he will be one day. The both the Buscema brothers should be one day. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, I remember that Balder miniseries being dope back in the day. Also, great color work in that. So, Walt Simonson, glad to have you in there. And then this one is close to my heart, Adam. And you know, it's Jim Starlin. I mean, this is a guy where if you think that Lee and Kirby built the architecture of the entirety of the Marvel universe, from the Watchers down to the street level of Spider-Man, this is a guy who he came up doing other Marvel comics. You know, he did a little bit of Spider-Man, a little bit of Captain America, you know, just like all the other artists do. But he got the opportunity to start telling his own stories with both Adam Warlock in the Warlock comic book. Well, it was um, Marvel Spotlight, I think it was. It was either Marvel Spotlight or Marvel Premiere. I can't remember which book it was. So they just gave him one of those little titles. Mm -hmm. And then they they spun Warlock, or a man called Warlock, out of that. He started telling cosmic Marvel stories that you can thank a lot of what's in Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor Ragnarok for Jim Starlin's wild creativity when it comes to space aliens. I mean, Star Wars hit it big, and they wanted some guy to do Star Wars-type superheroes there came Jim Starlin. Uh, he revolutionized comic storytelling by taking the uh, really weird concepts like the high evolutionary counter Earth, and uh, and bring them Adam Warlock to turn into a messianic kind of character for that part of the Marvel universe. And then you have, of course, the the Kree Captain Marvel. Thanks to thanks to Jim Starlin's run on that book, we also have Drax the Destroyer out running around causing havoc to this day. Yes, I know that for me, while my first exposure to him was Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, that was that was definitely not peak Starlin to me, but... <laughs> yeah, it says something to me that he still get Like, Marvel has a spot for him. I'm sure his comics don't sell gangbusters, yeah. but Marvel always has a place for him. And he'll do, you know, a weekly miniseries of four or five issues. Yep. And they give him, they give him, you know, time to do little cosmic stories to this very day. And that tells me something about his stock over there. Yeah. 
I mean, this is a guy who who has had, I think, an equal level of contribution to guys like John Byrne, Walt Simonson, Roy Thomas, uh, Tony Isabella, Stanley, and Jack Kirby. I mean, some of the the Marvel greats, and he is right up there with them. Morrison, Grant Morrison, talks about how. Uh, Simon Simonson, how uh, Starlin influenced him in Super Gods. Oh, and yeah, talked that's right. A, talked about how he took a lot of the rock, the prog rock from mm-hmm. the time and the the high concept of you know psychedelic music and and the uh, futurism right that, that was, was going on exactly. in music at the time and translated that into comics. Yeah, he's truly one of the rock gods. I mean, he's like the yes of comics. <laughs> kind of an acquired taste, but man, once you get it, it's just fantastic. Now, Adam gave me a copy of Warlock, uh, the recent trade paperback that was released. I already had another copy uh, that was given to me by another friend. So, Adam, I'm going to bless you with a copy of Warlock so that you can see the madness for yourself. Uh, I, will, I will read it Definitely. with an open mind. Awesome, and I appreciate that. Uh, then we have uh, the final awards that we missed, and that was the Bill Finger Award for Excellence in Comic Book Writing. Uh, just get right to it. William Messner Lobes. That man helped change my life by uh, co-writing The Max with Sam Keith. He did a lot of the dialogue. Uh, he also helped develop a character that I was raised with, mm-hmm. and that's The Flash. Yes. And a lot of you are going, he worked with Barry Allen? No, he did not. He, he worked, worked with, with Wally West. Who was my Flash growing up. And much of mine growing up as well. I mean, I watched Barry Allen sacrifice his life in the pages of Crisis on Infinite Earths when it was coming out monthly. Yeah, and by the time I was aware of comics, I was... I was reading Wally West as Flash comics, and the succession had been passed down. And as far as I knew, that was going to be the Flash from there on out. I mean, you're the generation that had Wally West as the Flash and Kyle Rayner as Green Lantern. Yep. And just like there's a whole other generation in the early 2000s that was brought up on Jon Stewart as Green Lantern. Just as a quick tangent, oh, right absolutely, there. with uh, ju- the Justice League cartoon Justice series. Justice League cartoon series, which was, I mean, great. You know, it gave us John Stewart. You know, and eventually we got all the lanterns now, which is another story in and of itself. But William Messner Loeb's just tremendous talent. So glad to see him. He's had some uh, some hard times and uh, was helped out by the Hero Initiative back when it was called Actor. And that was uh, what a commitment to our roots. A commitment to our roots, and uh, you know, so so Bill Messner Loeb's awesome guy. Glad to see him get this award. It's as well deserved as it is for another guy who I never considered for his writing up until I saw his name on this award, and it makes total sense. Jack Kirby. Yeah. Jack Kirby. Yeah, I was I shocked mean, to see him being nominated for anything. I just figured he won all the fucking awards right by now. No, and and the thing is, is that, well, of course, you know, he got his Eisner Awards for his dynamic, industry-changing artwork, how he inspired countless generations of artists over the years to actually go to work in the funny books. You know, some who ate their, his style, some who were just inspired by his wild creativity, and Jack Kirby is every much a writer as he is an artist. All I have to do is point you to his fourth world stuff over at DC, the wild shit that was the Commandy Last Boy on Earth comic. I mean, Sandman. The Demon. <laughs> the Demon. The Boy Commandos. Right? 
Uh, I mean, just crazy shit that he came up with. And then that's not to mention the later stuff from his years, characters like Captain Victory and Silver Star that were resurrected in, by Topps Comics when that company was still going. That tells you the power of Kirby, the fact that he created these properties and there was a company dedicated to furthering all those little independent properties yep. that Kirby had created. Originally, I think Captain Victory came out at a group called Pacific Comics, mm-hmm. and, and then it went over to Tops, just like with Silver Star. And this is not to mention the time when after uh, the Fourth World Clothes shop over at DC, as well as his, his near-future crazy books, and the demon folded all over at DC, he came back to Marvel Comics and then was writing and drawing the likes of Black Panther and Captain America and the Falcon. I mean, this is a guy who could write anywhere between two to four. I heard he was even writing five comic books a month at some time. That's batshit. You know, this guy wrote the adaptation to 2001 A Space Odyssey, the movie by Stanley Kubrick, who, and he just said, I'm going to put some of my own shit in there, and that's where we get Machine Man from. Wait, Machine Man spun out of... He was 2001? A ro- yep. He was a robot known as X-51 that developed artificial intelligence, and not just that, but artificial sentience. So he literally, I think, at least Grant Morrison would put it this way, he leaped from, from that. Um, it was one of those treasury-sized giant comic book editions. He jumped from that comic book into his own Marvel comic book called Machine Man. That's fucking insane. I had no, that one I had no clue about. Yep. I yep. knew that he did the space the space two thousand one. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that the Marvel Universe got a character from that. Yeah, they did. Amazing, totally nuts. He's the only person that could have pulled that off, right? I mean, there's so much stuff that Marvel had didn't done well with licensed properties that puts other companies to shame. The Marvel of the '70s was truly a house of ideas, and it wouldn't have been that way without Jack Kirby's written creativity alongside his visual creativity. And as we move from Kirby, I mean, you can't really top that when it comes to comics talk. Not it's, really. It's just fucking, Kir- it's fucking Kirby. It's now fucking have, Kirby. So, you know, I mean. Now we transition with the train wreck. We do. So, you know, it was just, I, I again, I just want to say just real quick, we felt really bad because all I had to do was turn one more page. <laughs> and I, But we were running out of time on the last one. So I'm glad we were able to lead this episode off with that stuff. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, when it, now we're going to segue into what the original purpose of this episode was, which is to talk about the media stuff coming out, uh, essentially out of the comic book companies or out of the comic book theme stuff that's that's going to be happening. So there's more stuff here than there's ever been, I'd say ever been before. The geeks have truly taken over the world. Uh, it doesn't matter in one sector. We're not just talking the computer industry or the tech industry. We're talking they have taken over retail. They have taken over the geeks now with these these culinary bistros and culinary pubs. Uh, they're taking over restaurants. We're taking over geeks have taken over music or in the process of taking over music. Um, they are taking Mega over, Ran. Right. OK. I mean, uh, one of my favorite bands is Kirby Crackle just because they're so cheeky about it. Uh, you know, MC, uh, MC Chris, MC Chris, MC front a lot. Uh, uh, there's, I, I got, you know, uh, there's a guy open Mike Eagle and another guy, yeah, no yeah, can yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. Who I'm huge fans of. And they're constantly referencing 
uh, you know, either X-Men characters right. or, I mean, while they don't dedicate whole songs to it, you can, it bleeds through in their stuff. Right. Now, look, we're going to talk about some of these more than others because they're going to bring up um, things that maybe we're more passionate about. And, and honestly, we don't watch every single one of the TV series in particular. But For uh, me, by every single one, it's none of them. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just going to bounce off what the shows have been like to Adam. And he's either going to say cool or sucks. You should spend your time doing something else, you know? <laughs> Honestly, I don't feel like I can judge one way or the other on these. Mm-hmm. So I'll just, you know, I'm like, oh, you enjoy that. That's cool. Yeah. And I'll be happy for you. And it'll be something for you to look up, you know, because all these shows or a lot of these shows, I won't say all of them, but a lot of them are binge worthy. So, you know, it's something that you can consume on a later basis if you want to, like I do with trades. So anyway, let's we're going to kick it off with DC. So we're going to talk about DC TV, then DC films. Then we're going to talk about Marvel TV, then Marvel films, and then get into some quote-unquote other stuff that might not necessarily be firmly connected to either of those two houses, if you would. Sound good? Sounds good to me. All right, so we're going to start off with DC TV. Obviously, it has dominated, I would say, approximately one half of the schedule for the CW network. Good God, they're making money hand over fist on this universe. Why don't they just change the name to DC TV at this point? You I know mean, what? Why, they, bring they Dyn- could. why bring Dynasty back from being a 1980s nighttime soap when you could create, I don't know, you know, Justice League Academy or, you know, yeah. or, or anything? My I mean, only concern with the sheer amount of superhero TV they have mm-hmm. is they're going to bust the bubble. Because you you can only put you can only put out so much before it floods. And and look, there's some shows that are showing st- signs of strain, and I'll I'll outline those for you. And there's some that just keep being these idea powerhouses. So let's start first with the refugee from Earth C BS. Uh, that <laughs> is, uh, you like how I did that? I do. I do. Yeah. I think I'm going to start referring to her from that Earth CBS, and that yeah. is uh, Kara Zor-El. Of, uh, of Argo City, I mean Supergirl, the TV series. And at the end of last season, uh, she was able to repel the Daxamite invaders of the planet Earth. Oh, was Monel in there? Monel was her boyfriend in that series. I know that kind of bakes your noodle a little bit. Well, yeah, it? I just shot him like a weird, like, really look. Yeah. Because that just, that's something. It's it's not comic based, right? Right. It's in, in the comics. If we if you're giving it strictly with the pre-created comic books, <laughs> <laughs> worst TV show ever. No, okay. Bad Simpsons impersonations aside, we know that traditionally, I think is the best way to put it. In the comics, Supergirl is the girlfriend of the future Brainiac Five. So, if you're not familiar with Brainiac Five. There was four generations of bad guy brainiacs that bothered the Superman dynasty through the years. And then by the 30th century, where the Legion of Superheroes are from, Kara Zor-El, Supergirl, found herself flung into the far future after a thing and then met this dreamy green-skinned guy with perfect blonde hair uh, named Brainiac 5, Vril Docks of the planet Kolu. And uh, they were... They were lovers. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. But they were boyfriend-girlfriend. She would often go back into the future, back and forth. No, the two had quite the love story that ended tragically at the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths. You know, when, she, when she died. Because so. I, 
I remember seeing him in that, and when I read Crisis on Infinite Earths, it was like 2005 or six. Okay. And because I was trying, I read it as reference for Infinite Crisis. Okay. And a lot of that book did not make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing Brainiac, and, and I'm like, what does what the fuck does Supergirl have to do with the Legion of Superheroes? Yeah, well, and she it, pretty much picked up where Clark left off. When Clark grew, grew up and Kara was growing up, she kind of picked, you know, filled, okay. his, filled his spot. Okay. Yeah. So it, it made, made sense since she was mostly a teenager through the years of DC Comics, except towards the last, I'd say, five, six years from about 78, 79 to 85 when Crisis came on. The reason why I deep dive the Legion of Superheroes is, is that she and James Olsen, they call him James because he's all grown up now, um, the two toured Superman's Fortress of Solitude, which was reminiscent of the Richard Donner Superman. It's a crystalline palace. Of course. Which is good. I want them to keep it that way. And one of the little trinkets they showed in his trophy room was a Legion flight ring. That's pretty cool. So there's the possibility that when Monel, uh, Monel, okay, so Monel got a fatal dose of lead poisoning. As he always does. He was able to, to survive thanks to Earth Science of the DEO, who she works for. He had to leave in the Kryptonian style rocket he originally came to Earth with, and instead of being shot into the Phantom Zone. It's like, here, go ahead and hang out with this endless dimension of Kryptonian felons for all time. <laughs> you know, instead of doing that, he takes off from outer space and gets sucked into an unstable wormhole. So I'm thinking, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that maybe that shot him into the future. That I'm would be a, a hell of a, a way to spin off a Legion of Superheroes TV show. Or at least an appearance for the very least. You know, I could see them doing a Legion show that's very much like Star Trek. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, one of my favorite episodes of, of Smallville had Lightning Lad, Saturn Girl, and Cosmic Boy in it from the Legion of Superheroes. And that's kind of like the holy trinity of the Legion. They call them the Legionnaires Three. They're the, the three founders of the organization. So who knows what the future may hold? Maybe Brainiac 5 will come back out. I mean, hell, they used Indigo from Outsiders as, Did a, they? In, as a villain in, in, in the first season that's of Supergirl. That's fucking dope. Played by... Um, uh, Laura Vandervoort, who played oh, who? Supergirl in, in Smallville, so <laughs> and it was really cool. She looked just like Indigo, I think, from you know with the three circles on her head and the whole yeah. thing like that. And was it pink hair? Uh, it was more magenta, but yeah. essentially, you know. So it was really cool. So anyway, Supergirl is now she's lost the love of her life. She says it's too hard trying to play human on one day and Kryptonian the other. So she's going to leave behind her Kara Danvers identity or human identity and just be Supergirl 100% of the time. And she's getting colder and more distant and more Kryptonian. And it might not be a good thing. So that's very reminiscent to me of like Peter Parker. Yeah. Of him. There's been plenty of times he's just been like, fuck it, I'm just going to be Spider-Man all the time, or go the other way of, right. fuck it, I'm just going to be Peter Parker all the time. Well, And we also, we always know how that ends up. Yeah, that, that they're going to be brought back in. Now, she's working for the DEO, which is led by a guy by the name of John Jones. So they have the Martian Manhunter in this TV series, and John might have something to say about that. James Olsen, who also uh, has a side gig as the Guardian, with a shield and everything? No. Yes. No. Yes. That's a no. That he, he should wants, not be. It, it's something they're doing. Like they have the whole 
they have Cadmus as an underground organization that's led by Lex and Lena Luthor's mother. Uh, Lena Luthor is trying to be the Luthor that goes good, but you know you see her start to slip down a moral, uh, ethical slide. There's, I, there's as much soap opera as there is heat vision bring in this in, show. Bring in a sep- bring in what's his face who was actually guardian. Don't or, Jim Harper. Yeah, Jim Harper, or bring in uh, the guy for that Grant Morrison had be guardian. In. Oh, the Manhattan Guardian. Yeah, or like, even uh, Mal Duncan. Who was the guardian for a time? Yeah, in both in both Young Justice and the comic books. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, you don't need to make Jimmy James Olsen a superhero. Well, he's he's learning. He he's not as good at it as he thought he was. Even though he knows how to fight and stay alive, as a, as a reporter covering Superman, it's more misadventures. Like he's he tries to be Batman, but he always ends up taking his helmet off and saying, "Really, I'm a human being," you know. Okay. So, and they've talked about some guy in Gotham. A couple of times also. Really? Just, but that's all they're allowed to do since Gotham is on another network. So anyway, uh, so that's going to be, that's going to be coming back Monday, October 9th. Then. Speaking I'm, of Gotham. Speaking of Gotham, I'm going to wait till later. Oh, okay. Because you do that to me all the time. <laughs> oh, well, I'm just trying to help. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Gotham is coming back. So no, I'm just giving you shit. Oh, uh, Gotham, God damn it, Jim. <laughs> Gotham is coming back and I watched the first season of Gotham. Actually, I can't say that. I watched the probably first half the, of the first season. I want to say even the, the first three quarters of it. I did come back after mid-season. I'm, I'm still saying to myself, man, I hope it's good. Man, I hope it's good. Because Ben McKenzie, who plays James Gordon on that show, was on a, a cop show, a very realistic single-camera, shaky-cam cop show called Southland, which was a one season on, on NBC. And then it did its last three or four seasons on TNT. And it was a tremendous cop show. It showed the, the cost of being a police officer, not just to yourself, but to the people around you, the people that you love. So I followed him from Southland to uh, Gotham, and I was like, okay, I like him. I like Donald Logue. Okay, the guy who plays the Penguin, he's pretty cool. Oh, excuse me, Cobblepot. Oh, they introduced a young Poison Ivy. Okay, they introduced a young Catgirl. Okay, fuck. Why? Why do they? Why does it have to be the Junior Bat Babies? You know, they it, couldn't. It, they couldn't have just done a show about cops in this Gothic city, this oppressive Gothic skyline, fighting the mob. Because that's all Batman fought in the beginning. No, they had to put in crazier and crazier elements into the show. You know, ca- characters like Mr. Freeze. See, well, you know, you just, got the Falcone family, and that's right? that's I mean, built in and the Zuko family. Yep. You know, I'm sorry. It was there. There was there was this. They were building up this internecine warfare. This 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 like they were picking at each other, which blew up into a full-on mob war. Even Jada Pinkett Smith's character, Fish Maloney, or Mahoney, I don't know whatever fake Irish name it was. Anyway, even her character was great in sort of an eating-the-scenery kind of way, you know, in, in being this overblown kind of wannabe mobster in her own right. I fell off of the show. I just did. It, it lost my interest completely. I'm like, if you're going to introduce all the Batman rogues gallery before there's a Batman, I'm sorry. I'm of the camp that believe that the reason that there is a rogues gallery for Batman is because Batman did it first. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that theory, 
But at the same time, I feel like they're using the Batman villains and his rogue gallery, rogues gallery as a as a crutch for lazy storytelling. I, I think there's some of that. Now, look, I can say, being a comic book fan, that there were other supervillains in the world, but that Batman was responsible for the creation of his particular brand of crazy supervillain. That's just how I see it. Just like how Peter Parker is the creation of the menagerie of, of kind of literally when you think about it, you know, the scorpion, the, the rhino, Dr. the vulture, Connors. the lizard, you know, that's how I thought Batman's was, that Batman was the spark of madness, that his was contained, his was processed, he was dealing with his damage, but that other people would look to Batman and go, that dude must be crazy. I can wear my crazy on the outside. So, so they were coming out of the crazy closet? Exactly, and that's kind of how I saw it. I don't know, just Gotham, there was something about Gotham storytelling. It's like, just wait for it, just wait for it. In eight more years, Bruce will be old enough to fight crime, you know? And I'm like, fuck this. I, I they just... don't even need Bruce in the show. But he was, you know, the murder of his parents. And look, I like the kid playing Bruce Wayne. He was, he's a good young actor. And then John Pertwee, the British actor who's playing Alfred, the son of the great Sean Pertwee, the third Doctor Who, he's great in the show as Alfred. He, he kind of brings that sort of Michael Caine kind of rough edge, cockney edge to it. So they have all the building blocks. They're just they building do. it wrong. Now, in this season, they show Bruce putting on a mask and a cape. It's not that adorned. It's just a mask and a cape, and he's starting to fight crime. You know, just a little street crime. He saves a family in Crime Alley just in the same position he and his were just years before. Now, is he a teenager in this now? Uh, Some kind of teenager. I don't know. This is the fourth season of the show. I haven't followed it at all, but I'll be honest. The trailer looked great. I mean, we get the scarecrow that looks like he's out of the Arkham Asylum video games. Cobblepot is now is like full on penguin mode. The Riddlers come out as the Riddler. He's no longer a forensic scientist for GCPD. You know, Selena is going to this I saw cat burglar for training. You the know. one thing I did like about the cat burglar is it looked like it took inspiration from Frank Miller's year yes, one. Yes, where she's going to teach her how to use the whip as a weapon. You know, things like that. And Damn it, the show looks good. Like, Mr. Freeze looks like Mr. Freeze from the fucking Batman the Animated Series. I, it it blew me away how well it looks. I am just... My TV diet is, is you know, it's peculiar. Yes, I like a lot of superhero shows, but, man, I can't... I, I am afraid to get reinvested in this show, now, given how badly I was burned in season one. Now, they've there's been an internet rumor running around that this is the origin of Owlman. There has been, and I'll tell you what, if that's the case, then shame on me for not watching the whole show. Oh, yeah, I'll catch... If they acknowledge if that, that, I'm going to fucking catch up because that sounds brilliant. That would be the dopest turn ever. I mean, talk about your heel turns. I oh, mean, my God. And I'm not even the world's biggest wrestling fan, but that would be amazing if that, if that was the thing. And that would be the glue that tethered it all together right. into a, into what see, what as it comes out would be maybe a mediocre series. Yeah. If you know that's your end game, yeah. That turn, I mean, that enhances the quality of everything, and it really sheds the the what is viewed as lazy storytelling. Yeah. And, and it gives a lot of things a pass, in my opinion. I would agree with you. I might like watch some episodes here and there just to see, but. I don't feel that they're that adventurous over at Fox. Who knows? They might be. 
I'm not expecting it. Uh, going back over to, oh, and that will be changing uh, days of the week from Tuesdays to Thursdays, I think, because they're tired of the Flash kicking its ass in the wait- ratings every week. Yep, I and could imagine that. Honestly, it was a very satisfying ending to the Flash uh, taking on uh, Savitar at the end of season three. It was not the traditional comic book Savitar. It was very scarred, disfigured, and, and embittered from the future who called himself Savitar wearing this giant suit of battle armor. Spoiler alert if you haven't watched the show. But essentially, he tried to build a Speed Force prison to put him in, and the spirits of the Speed Force said, once you created this space, a speedster needs to occupy it. So even though Savitar broke out of it, he, because of Barry creating this space inside the Speed Force, at the end of the last season, he had to actually go inside of it. Otherwise, the speed force, the, the, the way the physics of the speed force work, without that speedster's energy, it was going to break the planet apart. So he was essentially kind of the engine? Yeah, it? that a speedster. Now, Jay Garrick, at the beginning of the season, when they created the prison for Savitar, and Savitar escaped, Jay volunteered to go in there, which was awesome. Jay Garrick played by... Um, John Wesley John Shipp. Wesley Ship. He looks great in a silver silver uh, doughboy helmet with wings. So he he went in there first, but then they threw Savitar back in. Jay got out. Savitar got out again. And, you know, Barry said, look, no, I created this mess with, you know, how I want to constantly fix the future or fix the past like he did in the Flashpoint episode. How he keeps fucking up and uh, he, timeline. And he figured that he deserved to go to Speed Force jail. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I have to go to Speed Force jail now. I broke That's the laws so of time weird. and space too much. It is totally bonkers. But, you know, he had to say goodbye to Iris, who he finally got engaged to this season. It's played by the wonderful Candace Patton, who I thought in season one she was a waste of, of space on that show. And Just the way she was written or just how she acted? Well, I thought it was how she was acted, but you learn that later it was how she was written. And, and she they've given her real meat on the bones of her character now and she's ever since season two she's been one of my favorites of the supporting cast and the way she looks at barry she truly you get the sense of deep and abiding uh uh, um, uh, love between the two characters and it's it it was kind of heartbreaking you know again it's soap opera i'm you know i'm not going to say that this is like a merchant ivory movie some perfect british film it's not that there is soap opera to these shows, but the love story between Barry and Iris is now at that Titanic. Leo has fallen off the piece of wood and is now sinking to the bottom <laughs> of the sea moment when somehow they're going to, they're, they've teased in, for the first episode through the trailer for this season that uh, Cisco has cooked up some way to get Barry out. Okay. Is he vibe yet? Yes. Yes, oh, okay, he is. cool. And he has a costume reminiscent of the new 52 suit. So. Oh, nice. But he only comes out when Barry needs backup. You know, he's more of an engineer, more of a scientist. He, he prefers to make things because he's better at it. Um, he has not mastered his powers at all, but he definitely knows how to use them to an extent. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's kind of cool. And plus, there's kind of a vibe character from uh, Earth-19, and uh, that is the character Gypsy. So, oh, okay. And so they've taken the gypsy character. You know, she comes from over from Earth-19 to help out, and she and Cisco have this budding relationship that's happening between the two of them. Neat. So, And Caitlin is full-on Killer Frost now. 
So she's no longer part of like the core group? Well, she left at the end of the final episode of last season. They show her coming back. What that means, I am shrugging my shoulders going, I don't know. So we'll see how that goes. But she was full on Killer Frost, white hair, pale skin, the whole nine yards. So something that they do um, parallel to that are these great short cartoons on the CW Seed app. And uh, they have done two seasons of the Vixen series that the voices of Stephen Amell and um, Grant Gustin portraying their characters in the cartoon series. Well, they're in this new series of, of shorts on the CWC called Freedom Fighters The Ray. And it's about, just like in the comics, how the Freedom Fighters are all superheroes from another dimension to go free the planet from the oppression of the Nazis who won World War II on Earth-X. So this is like that universe in, like, multiversity with the Mastermen? Exactly. Exactly. And so the Freedom Fighters are some of the classic Freedom Fighters. You have the Ray, Black Condor. Uncle Sam? Uh, No, they didn't show Uncle Sam, but they showed um, Phantom Lady. And somebody who I guess is our man, but or doll man, I'm not sure. They he didn't have any dialogue in this episode, but the action was fantastic. The animation was wonderful, and all the Nazi superheroes, the new Reichsmen, were Stephen Amell, uh, Melissa Benoist, and uh, Grant Gustin. So they had nice. Supergirl, the Flash, and Arrows all as all as Nazis. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it was. Really great, and the Ray is going to be coming into the Flash, I believe, this season. So they're doing it as sort of a prequel. Is to he going to be played by the same person that's voicing? I him? believe so. I and think that's great that they have that kind of continuity. Mm-hmm. And he'll also be the first gay character in the DC TV shows as well. So I thought Mr. Terrific was. Oh, you know what? You're actually right, but he'll be another gay character in okay. the world of DC. You were. You beat me on that one. Well done. Well played, I don't sir. even fucking watch it. I know. What the <laughs> hell is going on with me? But, man, he looks great as Curtis Holt. I mean, he, you know, when he gets his, his hair pulled back and he puts the tea mask on, the whole shit like that, I just love Mr. Terrific. Uh, speaking of which, we've got Arrow coming back for its sixth season, which blows my mind. And uh, they have left Leanne Yu behind. That's the island. I was about uh, to, I literally was yeah, about to ask you like what the fuck is that? They are going to talk no more about the island. It's all there no more it's not to say there's no more flashbacks, but there's not going to be any more island flashbacks. That's all been resolved. Uh, at the end of last season to deal with the crisis, he broke Slade Wilson out of jail, out of Vargas jail on oh, Leanne U. So Manu Bennett is going to be a recurring character because uh, as uh, Slade said to Oliver there is no Green Arrow without Deathstroke or something like that. So he's going to be a recurring villain on the show again this year. And I think that's pretty quality. So Yeah, his his uh, outfit and everything was, was pretty cool, I his thought. His fighting style, the stunt, the stunt work on that show, since there's no... Typically, there are no superpowers on that show, even though they have Katie Cassidy as the Black Siren from Earth 2, the villainous Earth 2. They don't really have many characters with superpowers on that show. Uh, They have a new Black Canary, who is a woman that he found in Hub City, which should make, you know... That's so weird on so many levels. And her name is actually Dinah Drake. That's extremely weird on so many levels. It's the original Earth One Black Canary. It, it blows it my is, mind. But like, why? Because he was, because when he found out the original Black Canary, Dinah Lance, 
I can't remember. That that character's Diane, Laurel, already Laurel Lance. That character's already had like three iterations on that show. Right. Like, so why Laurel, do they keep fucking killing so these iterations? Laurel Lance died, and she had the sonic scream with a thing that Cisco built her from the Flash. She died, but then there was this this uh, invasion of Earth Two supervillains uh, in both the Flash and Arrow, and one of those supervillains was Black Siren who was Katie Cassidy. So they're going to make her a recurring villain alongside Deathstroke. So Oliver thought, well, wait a minute. If she was the Earth 2, if she was originally from Earth 2, then there should be somebody who's, who has the natural metahuman ability to have a sonic scream. Look, this is soap opera comic book logic, okay? Anyway, he found a cop who from Central City who's partner was murdered at the time of the particle accelerator accident that gave the flash his powers and as she was screaming watching him murdered by this mob boss she, it activated her metagene oh okay okay and so she just went out on a campaign of vengeance across america got the last guy on her list and was invited to join team arrow alongside mr terrific and wild dog hmm. wild dog is on the show yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So those are going to be what's coming out in the first half of the season. In the second half of the season, we have iZombie coming back. We have the new Black Lightning show, which is going to be an interesting twist. That's going to be more of a legacy show, isn't it? It is, because Black Lightning would have been a superhero starting in a prequel part of the pilot episode 10 years before the current storyline takes place. So he had stopped being a superhero for 10 years and then is brought back into the game by the current crop of bad guys known as the 100, a massive gang that's taking over whatever city he operates in. But both of his daughters start to develop superhuman powers from the very first episode. And they're, are they doing thunder and lightning like they are they're, from the comics? Well, that's the assumption. They haven't come out and said it. They're being a little cheeky about it right now. But apparently they showed the pilot at San Diego Comic-Con, and that's the confirmation is that it looks like eventually they'll grow into thunder and lightning. That's neat. Yeah. Then there's the show, which which I it's the show I love to hate, and that's Legends of Tomorrow. It's such a mess of a show, taking these weird superheroes, you know, Sarah Lance, and who's the White Canary, and, and Firestorm, and the Atom, and uh, Heat Wave, and Vixen, and Commander Steel, or Citizen Steel, excuse me, and they go out and fight time crime. It's a weird show. It's schlocky. It doesn't have the production budget to, to really make it a period piece like a Doctor Who would as they travel through time. It's kind of boring, to be quite honest, in some episodes. And then other episodes, Firestorm lights shit up, and the Atom gets to fight when he's shrunk, or he gets really big, or... You know, the Iron Man, or the Iron Man, the <laughs> Adam, what that thought was leading to was the Adam always came across as Iron Man in that universe, yes. and I never saw him shrink. So I was like, why the fuck is he the Adam if he's not going to shrink? Well, he shrinks in Legends of Tomorrow. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, so there's that. And uh, iZombie is coming back. Yay. I'm happy for Chris Roberson and Mike Allred in yep. that respect. They're getting their money from it, so good for them. It's a police procedural. It might as well be CSI zombie. <laughs> I know nothing of the show. I don't watch it. I'm not into procedurals anymore, so there's that. The show that is that originally I was going to poo-poo as Gotham on another planet, it's called Krypton. 
It was being developed by David S. Goyer and a bunch of other people. It was, it's a show about how Superman's grandfather is discovering the problems with Krypton and that there's some kind of corruption that wants to keep the problems with Krypton secret. Okay, so it's kind of Game of Thronesy. It's got the sci-fi element. It's on a um, high stakes uh, geology. High, st- high stakes geology. Uh, um, you know, it's going to have space shit. <clears throat> but guess what happens? They revealed this at San Diego Comic Con. Two time travelers go into the past to help Superman's grandfather deal with the problems that are going on in Kryptonian society. Do you know who those two time travelers are? Rip Hunter. No, try Adam Strange and Hawkwoman. The fuck? Adam Strange and Hawkwoman. Not even Alana, just Hawkwoman. Hawkwoman. And it's Adam such a Strange. fucking weird... I have to watch the first two episodes just to figure out what the hell is going that on That could there. either be brilliant or shite. Now, I love me some Adam Strange. I love Raygun Gothic, you know, that old 50s, you know, thin on the helmet, Raygun jetpack mm-hmm. sort of thing. The point is, Adam Strange is just one of those hallmark DC Comics characters, deep cut DC Comics characters, and he's going to be in the show. So I have to watch at least a couple episodes of it to figure out what the fuck is going on. Now, are they going to bring in full Thanagarian, like, Hawk, Hawk Woman? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe there's a whole planet of Hawkman that the Kryptonians have to deal with. That that would be kind of cool is to see how the explosion of Krypton impacts, you know, Thanagar and Ren. Yeah, but apparently this has taken place like 100 or 200 years before. Oh, shit. I didn't even think of that. You've yeah. got representatives from two warring planets going to help this old planet that's going to blow up. Yeah. Weird, huh? That's fucking weird. Yeah. Man. Well, anyway, that's what's going on in DC TV. Let's talk a little bit about DC movies going on. There was the panel which opened up the DC EU. That's the DC Extended Universe, as they call their cinematic universe. The pan- there was a quick panel that opened up with some uh, footage that we have not seen of the new Aquaman movie. But if you look at Jason Momoa running out to meet Chris Hardwick on that stage, that dude is a fucking rock star. I mean, Jason Momoa comes out in a linen suit with the trident of Poseidon. No shit. No shit. And there's this... I mean, it was like Slayer or something. I don't know what the fuck. And then he starts playing it, and then he starts swinging his long hair around. And the crowd was just eating it up. And I just think Momoa is a fucking star. I love that guy so hard. You know, they traded some quips and some shit like that. And he corrected... Chris Hardwick, he goes, well, I'm not big enough to be like you. I could be like Aquaboy or something. He goes, that's Aqualad. And I was <laughs> like, hey, hey, this is one of the one of the nerds who knows what he's talking about because he's a comic guy. Um, well, he's played Conan in the past. Oh, so. don't remind me. That movie well, was horrific. Well, I mean, yeah, we have our fair share of shit movies, but just even that tells you, you know, yeah. his his love for, for the genre. Yeah. So, no, you're absolutely right for that. But soon after that, they brought on the rest of the crew who all walked on stage from the crowd. They all came in at the front of Hall H and walked through the crowd. So, Ben Affleck. Um, How the um, fuck do they not get noticed in Mom? Oh, they got, no- they got noticed, but they also had security around them to keep oh. the path clear. But okay, they were good. still high-fiving. You know, him, Ray Fisher, Gal Gadot, Ezra Miller comes out in like a red kung fu uh, (laughs) thing, and he's wearing a flash hat with wings on it. I mean, that dude is just living the dream right now. And they had this real long panel 
talking about, you know, the production, they took questions. Chris Hardwick opens up with, so Ben, there's been this controversy about whether or not you're going to stay Batman. And he goes, look, I'm going to be Batman for as long as they want me to be Batman. What Matt Reeves, the new director, uh, he has been signed to direct the Batman movie, which they haven't announced a date for yet. It's been in development hell, it looks like. Yeah, and I mean, Affleck was originally the director and he was the writer of it. That script has been tossed. Matt Reeves is rewriting a script with his writing partner. And Ben Affleck said, look, I love the Planet of the Apes movie. If he wanted me to be like an ape from Gorilla City just running around on the ground somewhere, I would do that for that guy. So he was being... Granted, it was a political type answer, you know, to what's probably a still kind of a sticky contractual kind of situation. But the dude, at least, he was playing for the crowd and said, I want to be Batman still. And I tend to believe him that he wants to play Batman still. Well, he always comes across to me as a straight shooter uh, for as long as he's been a public figure. Exactly. Uh, very much, almost, not quite as crass, but very much that Kevin Smith school of, you know, just tell it how it is. So, I, you know, I think that he wouldn't give any type of answer that was anything like a phony answer. Exactly. Uh, and that's what I, that's kind of what I always respected about him. Even with Daredevil, you know, when he was doing that, it, he was very cheeky about how he played the character and his, you know, his press interviews and such. So I'm excited to see what he can do in a solo capacity, especially you know, me not really knowing his enthusiasm for for the project personally, hearing that story is very encouraging. Exactly. And they showed a new trailer that I forced you to watch because I'm a son of a bitch. And uh, we got to see some great bits in that, I thought. Actually, I had seen the trailer the day before. Oh, really? There was a customer that came in and he's like, hey, have you seen the new Injustice trailer? And I'm like, it's a video game. I don't give a shit, whatever. Yeah, and he's so like, you watched Look. it. And then he pulled up the fucking Justice League trailer and because he was a customer at the shop, I just, I didn't have the heart in me to just be like, fuck you, get this out of my face. Right. So but, you watched the trailer then before so, you watched yeah, it with me. Yeah. What'd you think of it? It looked all right. Yeah. I, uh, it, it didn't, I expect this movie to be shit. I'm just point blank. It's Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder, I think he's garbage for the most part. Hmm. Um, but... I think that, I mean, outside of Man of Steel, while I liked, I liked Man of Steel, it wasn't a perfect movie. No. It was far from it, but I just, I just don't have high hopes for this movie, and the bar was raised a little bit from shitty, awful, uh, you know, liquid to mm -hmm. uh, just farty, smelly. Okay, well, you know, look, uh, Zack Snyder is definitely a divisive, figure in cinema. I was a guy who liked Watchmen probably more than you. I saw your Twitter review of giving it a three out of five. I'd probably give it a three and a half or a 3.75. I didn't think it was a perfect movie. I think Zack Snyder has done more good than bad. Um, that's going to take, oh God, what was that really shitty movie? Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch. That was just a fever dream that was put to film and that shouldn't have been made. A lot of my problem with his stuff is the aesthetic and the repeated use of that similar aesthetic yeah. uh, i looked at 300 which i i did like 300 mm -hmm. but when you look at watchmen 
it's very similar in the way the color scheme is right. in the way in the presentation. Well, I, I think there's a lot of stuff that can be done in post. And if if you didn't know, Zack Snyder suffered a family tragedy earlier this year that no family should have to endure with the suicide of one of his children. It was something that him and his producing partner and wife, who were both producers on these DCEU films, uh, they decided to leave the production. Now, they, he had already f- wrapped principal photography, but he was supposed to come back to finish the reshoots and to oversee a uh, post on the film. Uh, that has been put into the hands of the future Batgirl director, Joss Whedon. So he is the one who has directed them on all of the reshoots. Maybe they added some stuff to the script. Maybe they didn't. Joss you know, Whedon's it's just, good, but I don't imagine him seeing... I don't I, imagine I, seeing him being that good. And it, especially... It, I feel bad because I'm not trying to attack no, him in the morning. No, and I wasn't even implying that. Well, so, no, no, but what but, I'm about to say is... I have a hard time believing he's able to put in quality work whenever you have such a horrible tragedy hanging over your head constantly. And that's just for anybody. Right. And he did the right thing by taking himself off the project. And all we do is wish him the best, him and his family the best. Yeah. Whenever they decide to come back, I hope they decide it's something that they're passionate about and that they want to make. And I will be there waiting to hear what that project is all about. In the meantime, though, you have a good shepherd in the form of Joss Whedon who has put out quality product after quality product. The reshoots are going as best as possible, and I think that they're making the best out of of a shitty situation for everybody. I couldn't think of a better guy that they could have brought in to to do that. Exactly, and he would be the guy I want to see direct a Barbara Gordon movie. (laughs) You know, my feelings about the killing Joe side for a second... Um, I'm really looking forward to whenever they announce a date for Batgirl, and for that matter, Nightwing. That's so weird to me. They're just going to do a Nightwing movie. And directed by Chris McKay from the Lego Batman movie. Yeah, that's going to be so weird to me. Because they haven't introduced Dick Grayson into the DCEU. Not yet, anyway. So I hope they do at some point to to at least build to Nightwing. Who knows? Maybe they'll introduce him in Justice League. For all we know. I thought that the trailer was really, really good. I think that Darkseid's Parademons, whom we did see in BVS, uh, Batman's uh, Nightmare with a K, as they called that sequence. Yeah, I'm shaking my head, too. But I like the look of the Parademons. Yeah, they did look very Kirby-esque. Yes. Uh, I like what little we were able to see of Steppenwolf. I like that they're holding back from the full image of Steppenwolf because they really shit the pot when uh, they released all the images of Doomsday in the trailer, I thought. Yeah, they that was uh, too much. That was revealing too much. Way too much. I didn't want to see their tits coming, you know, before I got to see the movie. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, thank God they did show that much because they got me into the movie theater to see Wonder Woman. Gal Gadot was the best part of that film. I think that Ben Affleck turned in as fine a performance as he was able to. I enjoyed yeah. the, I enjoy his Batman quite a bit. I you know he was the only good part of the Suicide Squad movie to me, which I thought was a total fucking nightmare of a film. I haven't seen that. Uh, you don't have to. And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It was just 
the the first half where it was just interlocking music videos were great. Once they got to the main plot of the story, that's they were like, we don't have one. We don't have one. I'll tell you some other time, not on the air. I am really looking forward to heavy metal ass kicking Aquaman who surfs parademons through buildings and then comes out tossing his hair like he was in a, a shampoo commercial. I it's think funny that looks because fucking great. I, I feel the same way about Momoa as I do Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool. Absolutely, same but, here. But yet, for Deadpool, they definitely draw from the comics, mm-hmm. and it's like you don't see that level of cursing or violence or inappropriate stuff in the comics, yet people are... Because the whole thing with Deadpool is he walks the edge of that. And that's kind of where a lot of the humor is. And people are like, oh, he's true to the comics. And I'm okay, like, yeah. yeah. He was also going to masturbate with a baby hand and a stuffed unicorn. So I, I'm just saying. That's and he, not in the comic. You can't say that, that that's. No, it's not in the yeah. comic. And that's yeah. what I'm saying is, is that, look, Deadpool had the raunchiest humor that I've ever seen before in his stuff. And I think the comparison to Aquaman is a little tenuous. So. Well, and I say that in the comparison is. Ryan Reynolds fits that character, even though we all think him think of that as kind of like the perfect version of that character, mm. even though it's not comic based. That's fair. I okay, feel the that, same way about am, Aquaman. Okay, okay, that I totally get where you're coming from now. So um, I feel like he's the perfect version of that character, even though we don't even have anything close to that in the comics. Right, and and the comic, well, they are they're actually having him grow his hair a little bit in the comics because I guess he's he's back to being a, a king without an undersea country sort of thing. <laughs> For the millionth uh, time. For the millionth time. That's another episode. Let's just leave it there. Um, the cyborg effects looked much better in this trailer than they did in the first trailer, so they're polishing, obviously. Gal Gadot is just fucking Gal Gadot. She just oozes charisma. I'm I'm looking forward to her participation in this film. All uh, you really got to say is just Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman. Moving okay. on. Because, yeah, because that like holds so much power just in Well, that's itself. there's a reason why they led with Wonder Woman in this latest trailer, too. Okay, you know, yeah. An $800 million movie. I think Ezra Miller is going to kill it as The Flash. I've heard a lot of hate for him. But I don't I'm know like, where it's coming from. It's man. coming from people who love Grant Gustin and are, ju- and I'm just like, why can't we have both? Yeah, it's and who people knows? who are like, that's not the Flash. Grant Gustin is the Flash. Maybe they'll meet in the Flashpoint movie one day, and we'll get to that in just a second. Oh, holy fuck, that'd just, be amazing, right? Okay, so just hang on to that for a minute. Ray Fisher, all that, and we all know Henry Cavill's coming back. So they pretty much said that they're going to have to digitally remove the mustache he's grown for Mission Impossible 6 so that he could do That whole thing, I was just like, really? I mean, that's just Paramount being a bunch of shit brains. Uh, Uh, The one one issue I did have in the trailer Uh was they kept going, Superman's dead, there's no hope, people are sad. And I'm like... (laughs) The guy that was in Batman vs. Superman, you're sad that that guy died when half the time you were persecuting Wait. him like J. Jonah Jameson persecutes Spider-Man. Fair enough. But he was kind of hopeful in, in the three-hour version of the movie. Oh, yeah. Fuck that guy. I was glad he died. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, good. I, I thought Fuck I, him. I thought his Clark Kent was much better in the three-hour Ultimate Edition than it was in the theatrical. The theatrical version is a shit ball of a movie. Or lack thereof Clark Kent. Right. The there was no there was no Clark Kent. But in this one, look, I, I've said it on a previous podcast. I'm going to say it again. You cannot take out one-sixth of a movie and expect it to be good. You just can't. They should have put out the three-hour version of the movie if that... It, I mean, look, somebody at Warner's approved the script. 
So yeah, it went from a, like an F to a C? I would say a C plus. I give it a C plus. I have a hard time believing. Well, that. have you watched it yet? I haven't because I don't want to dedicate haven't. three hours to get, a movie I already get hated. A, get a nice comfy chair, sit down, and know what the hell you're arguing about. That's all I'm asking you it's to do. Fair. It's fair. That's a fair enough I'm thing. I'm just saying is that you get what you want. You get Clark Kent actually showing up and doing Clark Kent shit in the film. Okay. And other things. It's not just Clark Kent. I mean, again, it's 30 minutes. That's the part that I just, I cannot understand. I can understand the hate for the theatrical cut of the movie. I can completely understand it. But what I can't understand is the director's vision being realized and, and people being hesitant against that. If people still don't like it because it's Zack Snyder, I'm totally understanding of that. There are directors that I refuse to watch. You know, they're, they're filmmakers whose work I just do not enjoy. But, and again, that's me on my soapbox. I'm thinking that Justice League looks like an ass-kicking, repelling alien invasion movie, and they've got the red skies from Crisis on Infinite Earths up there. So uh, Yeah, I did like that. I thought that was pretty cool. Yes. And for me, I went to Final Crisis where the sky's bleeding. Yeah. That's where I mean, it's just, yeah. I, I, I'm... I can be cautiously optimistic. I mean, I was... I like the trailer... But that doesn't mean I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm expecting to enjoy the movie automatically. I'm hoping that Zack Snyder did the work that he wanted to do while he was on the project. But I also hope that Joss Whedon shepherds the project to, to completion in a way that will, will have us movie fans, us superhero movie fans, go fuck yeah at the end of the movie. That'd be nice. I'd, I'd like to be surprised. Yeah. So what... And again, I'm, I'm under no illusions that it might just be a complete mess. But one thing that they did say was, is that David Sandberg, who's the director of Lights Out, did you see that movie? I don't even know what that movie is. That was a movie, um, the guy who played the Marine Commander in Avatar, um, I can't remember, but you know. Sam Washington? No, 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 you're seeing of Sam Worthington. Yeah. Uh, no, the guy with the gray crew, crew cut who oh, fought in the mech suit. talking about, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, it was a movie called Lights Out where he played a blind veteran who a gang of teenagers tried to invade his house and, uh, you know, caused shenanigans. And they found out that he was the real horror story and even blind. He was he was an absolute terror. So it was a really cool little movie that came out, $10 million budget. Based on the strength of that film, DC is giving him the reins of the Shazam movie. Awesome. And I am can't wait. And they say that's the next film that's going to go into production after Aquaman. I'm interested because The Rock has very much said for Ever. fucking years. For, for that, fucking forever. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't even know. I, he's just like, I'm Black Adam. Yeah. And now it's they, almost like he's like, I don't even know if DC was like, you're Black Adam. He just declared one day that he was well, fucking Black Adam. That's because he signed and got the money. You know, he signed and got the money. He is Black Adam. They were banding around the idea of doing a Black Adam prequel movie set in Egypt. I think that's a little too much. I think that's a lot too much, and I think that's off the table again. So we, well, I heard that he's not going to be in the Shazam movie. I've heard that he is. So, you know, I, I don't think there is a consistent through line on it yet. Well, hopefully they figure their shit out. Yeah, we do know that, that Aquaman with James Wan is the director from the Fast and the Furious movies. Uh, a, I mean, just a whole host of horror films. He's directing Aquaman. So I'm hoping for the best with that one as well. I think he's a quality dude. So Flash has been retitled Flashpoint. So that gives us comic book fans something to expect. 
with this. It's oddly enough, this is going to be compared in my mind to Flashpoint Paradox. I, I, can you pull this off better can, than this movie? Well, and and it, it it makes me ask some questions. Well, first of all, the news was just confirmed this past week that Gal Gadot is going to be in that film as Wonder Woman. Does That's that a plus? Does that mean that we're going to get Jason Momoa coming in as Aquaman? And will those oh fuck to actually do the whole warring and actually war do it, it well? Yeah, of of Atlantis versus Them- Themyscira, possibly. I mean, yeah. who knows? Who knows? And Ezra Miller is obviously going to be the the Flashpoint character. Get it? Huh? Yeah. The one thing that that movie makes me wonder is if that's how they're gonna if that's their backdoor safety. They're fail-safe. They're fail-safe to get Ben Affleck out of the movie. And that's exactly, you read my mind, that's exactly what I was thinking of. You know, if they need to do a soft reboot and take Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck out for whatever contractual or business reasons they have. I think age is a big thing, not only for Ben Affleck, but for his Batman. I think he's too old. Ben Affleck is part silverback gorilla. I think he can live for 300 years. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's fair, but I feel like it, even at this point in his age, he should be training Terry McGinnis not being out being Batman. Hey, that might be a future movie also. I mean, they're going to do two Bat Family movies. I mean, with Nightwing and uh, Batgirl. Shit, you give me a Terry McGinnis movie with, uh, you know, uh, with Ben Affleck calling the shots as, yeah. Bruce, as Bruce Wayne. I'll Fuck be in yeah. front line right with you, dude. I promise you, I love Batman Beyond. That would be fantastic. Make it one part Blade Runner and one part The Dark Knight? Jesus Christ. Hey, I think I just created the through line for the next film. You created money right there. That's right. I am a license to print money right here sitting with you. And they said that they are going to go ahead with the Green Lantern Corps and Cyborg movies. Now, here's some things to think about. They do not have a director for Flashpoint. They've gone back. Originally, Lord and Miller, who were kicked off of the Han Solo untitled film, uh, were supposed to be the original directors of that. And then a guy by the name of Kerry Fukuyama was going to take on over after him, but then he left the project. So everybody's wondering, will Lord and Miller come back and make this, you know, super screwball superhero fiasco? They and could I always mean that, get Josh Trank. I oh, hear he's looking for work. Actually, I heard he's got another, but he's going back to independent film. Like yeah, he's got, yeah, he doesn't have much choice. No, well, not really. I mean, he burned his bridges at Fox, that's for sure. But um, I've heard that he's got some sci-fi project that's coming out. Oh, okay. So cool. I'm really looking forward to that. But you know, Green Lantern Corps—they have confirmed it's going to be a buddy cop movie between Hal Jordan and John Stewart. It needs to be. I, th- I think the I, fact that they're coming at it from a completely different angle yep. is the perfect way to reboot it. Yep. And that's all I can say because the original Green Lantern was a, a Nuremberg-level war crime. I mean, it was an absolute travesty of justice. It was the OC with superheroes. Oh, God, it and was terrible. The, about of the, and about the amount of character depth of the OC. I would say less. Le- wow. I would say less. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, they had characters who at least loved comic books and that. I don't think anybody involved in the production of that movie truly loved comic books. Jeff Johns was, in, was pretty... And Ryan Reynolds... They okay, both love comic books. but I think there are more characters in the OC. I'm just saying. Okay, fair I, enough. That's all I got. That's true. They did <laughs> a wi- they did a wild storm pitch in the OC. 
Did they? Yeah. I did. I, well, there you go. If they had a whole episode going around yeah. it, there you go. Hey, uh, let's move over to the House of the Mouse and talk a little bit of Marvel TV, even though I wish I didn't have to. This will be more rapid fire because I think Jim and I give less of a shit. We, I know it, I give less of a shit, and I think Jim does too. I do too. Uh, too uh, honestly, but there's stuff here that's interesting. Okay, and that's not including. First, I'm going to start with the non-Netflix stuff. So with the non-Netflix stuff, we've got a new Warriors TV series that's going to feature the unbeatable Squirrel Girl in its cast uh, happening over at the former network known as ABC Family. Now it's known as Freeform. So that's going to be over there as well as Cloak and Dagger. Um, and Runaways. No, Runaways Runa- is Hulu. Runaways is the Hulu. So all those projects are still on. There is a trailer for Cloak and Dagger that is up on YouTube. If you're curious, I think there's still a year out from that film. Uh, Honestly, TV series. I feel like a lot of those series feel like it's syndicated nineties TV and it's going to run one or two seasons and that'll be it. Or we're wrong because there's arrow, <laughs> which I didn't feel about that way about arrow did you? Okay. I, arrow. I knew that they were playing for keeps yeah. that that was going to be a make or break for and them, you, and it was a huge well, make. Then you picked it. I mean, who's to say? Because I don't know who the creatives are on these shows. I just know that they're happy. Cloak, Cloak and Dagger looks vaguely interesting to me. Um, until I see some stills or until I see a trailer for New Warriors, uh, I got nothing for any of that. Something I have seen a trailer for and wasn't immediately impressed with was The Inhumans, which uh, ABC has been going out to various media outlets saying, look, this is going to be our sci-fi Game of Thrones. It's not. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough... The sets look plain. It doesn't... It, it, it looks... They want it to be sci-fi Game of Thrones. And who knows? Maybe they're going, maybe they're going to uh, make a fool out of both you and me on this. Maybe they're going to digitally add hundreds of thousands of people to the city of Adelaide. Maybe they're going to turn it into something like what Game of Thrones has been able to do. I was angry just at the fact that there was no tuning fork on Black Bolt. There was no, but I'll tell you what, Anson Mount, who is playing Black Bolt, looks like Black Bolt without his mask. I will say that. and he, he But he, he needs a mask. That's I, just, in my opinion, that's Black Bolt, man. I know. I'm with you, bro. I really am. I mean, I, I, I showed you. I've got that, that first appearance of Inhumans comic. Yeah. Didn't, you know, so, I mean, I've got much love for that. I just, you know, it's hard to do in TV. It's hard to pull off masks and capes in TV, even though I think that they're afraid of it. And I think they are afraid of it over at Marvel. Uh, they're, they're afraid of looking like they're copying DC's success with the uh, CW shows. I think Which I think they shouldn't. I think because Marvel skews more towards, you know, they're in our universe right. type of thing. And I think that they're scared of embracing that superhero element on TV mm-hmm. uh, because, I, you know, I doubt they're going to be able to do it at the caliber that they do in the, in the Marvel movies. I would agree. So, Well, I, that's why Kevin Feige wanted to divorce himself from the whole TV division, which was being run by Art Perlmutter, who's apparently a giant colossal asshole. Uh, you know, why not make it its own separate thing? Personally, I, I love the royal family of the Inhumans. I, I Again, if it's Kirby-created, chances are I'm interested in it. It has all the Kirby-created royal family members. It's got Medusa. 
who was the Zatanna on Smallville, Celinda Swan. Her hair looks like a total wig, which is disappointing. In the second trailer, it's animated a little bit, but I don't think they're there yet. Uh, they have Gorgon, they have Karnak, played by War- Ken Leung. Warren Ellis made me love Karnak. Yes, yeah, same here. And I want to see, that's the guy I want to see on TV. Yeah, I want, what, what was it that, he was the master of the Tower of what? What did Warren Ellis? I fucking, I can't remember. I just remember him being like, I can see the weakness in everything. Yeah. And truly exploiting that. Yes, and if look, you got to read that Karnak trade paperback. It's all collected. It's six it's issues. It's six issues. You can blaze through it. The art is phenomenal on it. The colors are great. And it's Warren Ellis. So anyway, it's got Karnak in it, it's got Gorgon in it, it's got Medu- uh, not Medusa's sister Crystal is in it, looking very much like Crystal. Triton is in it, and the guy who played Ramsey Bolton in Game of Thrones, I uh, cannot remember the actor's name, is playing Maximus the Mad, who actually looks like Maximus the Mad. That's one thing where I was, at the, when I was looking at the, the promotional picture... That was one character where I went, oh, well, that's, you know. Makes outside total of, sense, right? Outside of Medusa, and that was the one character I could spot and be like, oh, that's Maximus for sure. And a CG Lockjaw, which makes me want to plush Lockjaw so bad. I love Lockjaw. <laughs> I love Lockjaw. Did so. you read that Paul Pope Lockjaw story? Wasn't that just gut-wrenching? I mean, I, That I was such the, a great story. There was so much joy in that. But was that in uh, Strange Adventures? What, or uh, Strange Tales when they did the little Indian anthology? Dink show? I don't remember the but, name of it. But uh, yeah, I, I remember reading it online, so I can't tell you for sure. Yeah, but just if you get a chance, like if you don't fall in love with Lockjaw after that story, you don't have a heart. Pet Avengers, anybody? You don't, no, and Lockjaw, look, he's totally CG. They spent a lot of money on Lockjaw, and I think that's the thing that pays off the most. The other thing they spent money on. Uh, or is who spent the money, and that's IMAX. The IMAX Corporation co-produced this series with ABC. Wow. It's going to be 10 episodes, and the first two episodes are shot entirely in IMAX. And uh, Oh, they're going to do uh, the the premiere on IMAX, Yes, they, they are going to do the first two episodes, are going to run in IMAX theaters for two weeks, and I think it's the beginning of September... Yeah, I don't see I don't see the date. I want to say it's like the first week of September that it comes out in IMAX theater. So I'm gonna go see it in IMAX, see if it's any good and drag if, me along with you. Yeah, I'll do that. And then September 29th, the back six episodes comes out. So eight episodes total. Then there's Agents of Shield, which is gonna be returning mid-season. So they're going to let in humans on the first half of the television season. The second half of the season will be Agents of Sh- of Shield. Agents of Shield has been developing the whole Inhumans thing, haven't they? They have, but they've now it's just like part of the status quo of Inhuman of Agents of Shield that there are Inhumans. Okay, which is kind of cool. They fought in a version of the Matrix last year in a perfect world where there were super spy hijinks versus Hydra. So it was kind of like okay. kind of Jim Stranko inspired. Again, they're doing this all low budge, so you can't hold it against them that it, it's it's imperfect. But it it kind of drug along also. But th- this next season of Agents of Shield uh, teases the rise of Sword. Oh, nice. Yes, and so it, they're going to bring Abigail Brandon. Who knows? But they did show Coulson 
uh, opening a window to show that he is in, in the middle of an asteroid field. Because that's so, a, I mean, that's an X Men thing to me. Unless, but sword is. I mean, Abigail Brand. Yep. They might have some leverage because Whedon created those characters. Well, and I think the other thing is, is Fox and Marvel Studios do horse trading. Like, they say, we'll give you this character if you give us this character. Oh, okay. In the Captain Marvel movie, which is supposed to be coming out in 2019, it's going to be set in the 1990s, and Carol Danvers will be fighting the Skrull. Now, that one, I wasn't sure how they pulled that off, so that makes sense. Yeah. So they they have co-ownership of the Skrulls. So Fox said, well, as long as we can use the Skrulls and we have sole possession of the Super Skrull. And they were like, okay, have it. You know, so there you go. Yeah, and the Super Scroll doesn't make sense outside of Fantastic Four. Absolutely. Okay, so that's that's what we've got for Marvel regular television. Now let's turn over to Netflix. We have a panel that you can watch on YouTube right now. Jeff Loeb is about to introduce the Defenders, and then from out of nowhere, John Bernthal shows up, and of course, Hall H erupts. Is he going to be in the Defenders? Not sure yet. Not sure, but... I kind of don't want him to be. I kind of don't want him to be either, you know, and, and the reason why is I want the Punisher to be special. You know, I, I can... Yeah, I agree I, with I that. Want, I want the Punisher not to be separate. I want it to be part of that universe, but I want the Punisher to be dealing with things only the Punisher can, and in a place in, a, in, a place in that universe where only the Punisher uh, exists, as it were. But I, I like him being part of the greater universe, I know I'm not making a whole lot of sense. Anyway, he showed the panel and showed the crowd a little bit of very early Punisher footage that apparently was really dope, and Marvel was quick to scrub off of YouTube. So there was no hope for that. So, of course, they're making a big push for Defenders. Defenders is coming out August 18th. It's a Friday. Uh, It's going to be... Holy shit. That's like in less than two weeks from today. Yeah, it is. We're recording this on Saturday, August 5th. So in less than two weeks... The Defenders, all eight episodes are going to be coming out, and we will see the battle for New York City. Iron Fist, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Daredevil. Do you think this will be the redemption for Iron Fist from the shitstorm that was season one? Absolutely, because the Daredevil season two uh, showrunners are showrunning this show. Oh, fucking. So, okay. And already in the little bits that I've seen of Danny Rand in this, this is the Danny Rand of Immortal Iron Fist. You know, him at the head of a boardroom table and then evil evil villain at the other end of the boardroom table. Dope. I'm there. And him and Luke Cage fight. <laughs> what? Just, it's what superheroes do when they meet each other. Fair enough. And maybe by episode eight, and they're only, sp- they're spending the same amount of money that they did on, on any of the series 13 episodes in eight episodes, which means that's a whole lot of money per episode that they're spending on this. And they brought back Elodie Young, who's going to be playing Elektra. They're bringing back... Um, oh, and she's she was dead. She was dead. And so she's going to be fucking working for the hand. She's working for the hand, and she's brainwashed and is amnesiac. Oh so Alexandra God. is using Elektra to lead the hand into battle. And uh, this is stick, the, is... stick and the chase are going to be back. See, it, this is the only, like comic book, anything that I keep up with is the Netflix stuff yep. because it's that fucking good. Yeah. Yeah, and they have uh, renewed all four shows for new seasons. And they got a new showrunner on Iron Fist, so it might be good. Raven Metzner is the guy's name. I don't know what he's done before, but it can't be as bad as Scott Buck, who's going to be producing Inhumans. I heard a theory online that they just gave Scott Buck, like, shit stuff, and they were like, all right, can you spin shit out of gold? And 
to be fair on Marvel's side, they he did do that in the fact that Iron Fist is like one of the most watched Netflix series. Absolutely. I so mean, they were they considered that a win. But and they're going to have to work hard for a series too, especially viewership. in network cities. Yeah, series. Yeah, well, a Netflix, not network. No, you no, said no. Network. With Scott Buck moving right. to Inhumans, yeah, he's going to have to work. Have work, work extra and hard to. get... I agree with you on that. Absolutely. But look, you know, with all of these, all of these things happening, we're going to get a season three of Daredevil. We're going to get a season two of Jessica Jones. We're going to get a season two of Luke Cage. That we're going to get heart. that season two of Iron Fist and. And one can only hope. And Misty Knight is confirmed to appear in that series. That was so, one thing that put me off about Iron Fist is that they went with... Uh, they went with the obvious choice of the two daughters of the dragon, as it were. To me, it was always Misty Knight. That was well, the obvious choice for Iron Fist. They would have had to cultivate that in the show. I like the introduction. I love Colleen Wing. So I want to see more of Colleen Wing. But dude, I want to see Misty and Danny get together. Yep. I mean, that's just... that's. That's the star-crossed romance of star-crossed romances. So, look, there's all that happening. But, look, there's also other TV from Marvel that's happening on Fox and FX. So, FX... That's true. uh, We were talking a little bit before recording this episode that Legion is a show that Adam needs to see because it's um, from uh, uh, Noah... I cannot remember. Is it Noah Crawley? Fuck if I know. It's Noah Cawley or Noah Noah Crawley. He's the guy who's the showrunner on Fargo on FX. And the show is brilliant on FX. Legion is is like a Rembrandt. I mean, Legion's like Van Gogh. I just shot him the people's eyebrow because that sounds insane to me. It is insane, but it is painted. This, this, This television show, each shot is like a work of art. So whoever is the director or the directors of, 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 of cinematography on these shows need to win Emmy Awards. It is that beautiful to look at. And the story, even though they can't use direct, they, they implied that Professor X is his real father by showing a guy in a, in a Professor X-like wheelchair from the movies. But just from like the neck down, they didn't show who it Bald was. Bald head and all that shit. They didn't show any of that. This show with... I, I just don't want to tell you any more about it. I told you a little bit about it. Just watch the show. You don't know what's telepathy, what's psychosis, and what is the real world at times. I'll check I mean, it out. It is, it, if it can lead you on that kind of journey and you get the same thing, you will be rewarded. There's also going to be a very X-Men show coming out called The Gifted. That one I'm actually interested in. I am really interested in this as well because, we, first of all, it's they have like a department of sentinel operations which apparently the american government has like fully bought into project wide awake and like sentinels roam That's the earth fucking horrifying and awesome at the same time right okay so this agent of the department of sentinel operations discovers that his two children his his daughter and his son are both mutants that's awesome and so what does he decide to do go on the run because he is a hypocrite, and thank God he is a hypocrite. He goes on the run, him and his wife, so the family sticks together. It's mom, dad, and the two kids go on the run from his former employers. At the same time, this group of mutants who aren't even sure themselves if the X-Men are still around are chasing after them to try to save them and bring them into their collective of mutants. And these are mutants like Thunderbird, Blink, and Polaris. That's such an oddball mix. Isn't it? Yeah. And a new character called Eclipse. 
I don't know much about him. That's cool. But I am, I mean, they are talking about this tying in directly to the Brian Singer X-Men mythology. Well, he's directing the pilot. Yeah, I think it's also being produced by his company as well. And I am super hopeful for this show. It looks so good. Uh, so Marvel Studios then came out. We talked about Captain Marvel. We talked about Captain Marvel. So it's all pre-production artwork for that right now. Did they show a, a, a whole scene from Black Panther to the crowd at San Diego? Yes. Did any of us get to see it? No. Does that make me not want to see Black Panther because I already know it's the most awesome movie ever made? No. I'm, I want to see it right now still. <laughs> I work with kids with special needs uh-huh. and... I brought in the Jack Kirby uh, Black Panther trade paperbacks as part of the class library. Oh, wow. And there's this little girl that was in our class that fell in love with that. We went on spring break last year. Uh Uh-huh. And when we came back, the first thing she talked about was seeing Black Panther in Civil War. So dope. And so... She is, I'm sure she's ecstatic that Black Panther is getting his own movie because she was just like, Black Panther's my favorite character. I love Black Panther. so great. I mean, the fact is we're talking now three or four generations of people, hell, maybe even four generations of people are all going to see this dream of T'Challa and the wonderful world of Wakanda. Actually, they're on the screen, the techno jungles. They called them techno jungles for crying out loud. I do want to see... The Black Musketeers. Interesting. Oh, well, you're talking about the Dora Milaje, aren't you? No, no. I'm talking about the Black Musketeers from uh, from Jack Kirby's run. I need to read those. And they look almost like Speed Racer characters. No shit. It's so fucking crazy. And I was like, I want this in my movie because that would be insane. Well, all I know is, is that Chadwick Boseman looks great. Fucking Michael uh, T. Jordan, he looks great. Uh, Andy Serkis as Ulysses Klawa, the South African mercenary who lost his arm. Apparently, he grows an energy arm. That'll be an actual legitimate legitimization of the, if that fucking of the character yeah, of Claw. Yeah, yeah, pretty I much. I see where you're going with that. Yeah, that's that's how I felt about that because he'll do for Claw what Jeff Bridges did for Iron Monk. Ax- in my opinion. Absolutely, I'm with you 100 percent on that. Then Dora Milaje. I want to see that, too. I mean, in the form of Lupita Nyong'o and Dan Iguera from The Walking Dead. You couldn't have cast that better. And then Angela Bassett to play his mother, Ramonda. I mean, come on. This movie... Oh, Martin Freeman as uh, the American agent um, from Civil War. I can't remember his character's name right off the top of my head. Um, Anyway, but Martin Freeman, who's I love in BBC Sherlock... He's going to be in it as well. It's just an awesome cast of, of crew. Are they going to bring in uh, Winter Soldier? Who knows? Maybe we'll get him in a tag scene at the end. I, I think that'd be pretty cool. I think that would be too, because he's featured in the Infinity War trailer. They showed Hall H and didn't show us. So oh. jealous. I'm so jealous. Oh, my God. I love, I love that I don't have something else to be angry about with all that stuff. I might or have might not have watched a pirated version of that over somebody's shoulder who should have gotten out of the way so I could see it better. Um, let's just say from the little that I saw, and it really was a little that I saw, that this looks absolutely amazing. I mean, there's going to be, what, 100 different Marvel heroes and villains in this, in I, this thing? I hope not. No, there, it's, but it's going to be everybody. So you're going to have the Guardians of the Galaxy. You're going to have the Avengers. You're going to have... This is going to be a Marvel event movie. It is 
one of the, you know, in the 60s and 70s, they had these event movies like The Longest Day where it had like tw- a cast of, of 20 different actors in it or Bridge Too Far, you know, where they had, you know, Sean Connery and Robert Redford and James Caan and all these different people in it. Like it's, a, it, it, it was kind of like the Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's is today. Eleven, yes. Another great example of that, you know, where there's going to be, you know, you're going to have the full cast of Avengers. You're going to have... You're going to have the full cast of Guardians of the Galaxy. You're going to have you know, Black Panther, Winter Soldier made an appearance in what little I could see of that trailer as he's standing with the Wakandan army and Black Panther. They have Steve Rogers growing a full beard wearing like a um, Winter Soldier style suit, but with all the, the silver rubbed off of it, so he's kind of like nomad in a way. Oh, okay. It just looks so amazing. I mean, uh, the kid, Tom Holland, playing Spider-Man, wearing the suit at the end of uh, at the end of Homecoming. I haven't seen Homecoming yet. Oh, that's right. You haven't. So you don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about, no. so I didn't really even spoil anything for Good. you. Yeah, I didn't describe it, but all I'm going to say is it looked amazing, and Josh Brolin obviously heavily CG'd as Thanos, but one of the things that they um, had was is his helpers from the Infinity miniseries by Hickman are going to play his supporting cast Great. in this. That's excellent. I loved that Infinity, that whole Infinity storyline I felt was the best Marvel event they've put out since they've started doing Marvel events in like 2005 probably, or six. Probably the best one that shows the stakes. I mean, they show what the stakes are up front. And the stakes matter through every issue of Infinity that came out subsequently. It's a great miniseries and, to read. And the Avengers, like, and the Avengers and New Avengers books were essential in that. And I, probably to, my favorite era of the Avengers. I from I would a not very blame long you. history of reading the Avengers books. But that's what they have going out in Marvel. So they only had a few things to talk about on the on the movie front. Here's just a couple of quick hits from uh, some other stuff that's happening in television. They have the Grant Morrison series, Happy. I'm just going to go ahead and give the elevator pitch, but basically it's a burned-out, corrupt ex-cop who's pretty much now a hitman who's, leave, who's living this really hard life. And uh, the hitman in the TV series is going to be played by Christopher Maloney, who I think that you've expressed some love for in the yeah, past. Yeah, I think he's a brilliant actor, so anything that's going to feature him, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's going to be awesome. As he's you know lamenting his life at this bar with no name, I don't know what else to call it, this dive bar that he hangs out at, he encounters what can be best re- best called a magical animated flying horse by the name of Happy, who is there to make his life absolutely weird and him more miserable, apparently, who's going to be voiced by Patton Oswalt. Yeah, I'm not a huge Patton Oswalt fan, so that kind of puts me off. <laughs> That's weird. How can you not be? He's like the ultimate one of us. I think he markets himself as the ultimate one of us, and I think he skates by on that. I feel exactly about him as the same way I do, like, the Nerdist and all that stuff. Really? Which we've gone over. Yeah, but... Um, and I feel like he capitalizes did you wa- on... Did you, did you watch that rant, that Star Wars Marvel mashup rant from Parks and Rec? That was improv, dude. I, I still... You can't do that and be a surface-level nerd. I still feel like it... It's used in a way to to market and capitalize. And while, yeah, I think he cares about it, I think it's more exploitive than anything else. Hey, okay, I'm about to exploit myself. If if I can be a nerd and talk for money about nerd things, I'm going to do it. So please send me money. You can send me bit, Bitcoin, 
if you want my address, I'll send you know send me an email. I'll send you my address for checks. Um, I'll give you or my you email can address. Contact for my, us at my, the Graphic Podcast on Twitter. Pay, PayPal account. Just send me send me money, and I will exploit the shit out of myself so I can be a nerd for a living. Jesus, Adam. Come on! I'm sorry. It just I, it's just how I've it's I, I how think, I've always kind of felt about him. I think you're just being a little bit hypercritical. You just that need to be. let you just need to let go. You ever watch the Goldbergs? I started to. Yeah, he, him as the narrator of the Goldbergs is a pretty good performance. I think I watched that because of Jeff Garland. Well, he's funny too. Yeah, I love Jeff Garland's comedy. That I guy's started great. watching it and then I fell off on it because at the time I didn't have I it's didn't a, have cable and I was tired of. Tr- constantly trying to go to my friend's house and yeah. utilize his DVR. Yeah. Or his DVR. That should yeah. be on Hulu, I believe. It is. I just picked up a Hulu subscription, okay. so I'm kind of excited, yeah. and I'll hit that up there. And it's, and it's quality shit. Um, so anyway, I'm looking forward to Happy. I'm a Patton Oswalt fi- fan. Adam isn't. They talked more about Star Trek Discovery coming out. To me, it's still confusing as shit as a lifelong Star Trek fan. Believe it or not, I am a Star Trek and a Star Wars fan in equal measure, and I don't... I'm, no, I'm, no, 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 I'm about to call bullshit. There's no way you're a Star Trek fan in equal measure you, as you are to Star Wars. You haven't seen my office at work. I, fair enough, but I just know how much you love Star Wars, and I don't see anything being on the same level as that. Well, I don't have the same amount of stuff because Star, Star Trek has way too many licensors. And I'm just not into tchotchkes for tchotchkes sake. I mean, I like the Holocron games. I like my life-size Yoda. I like my lightsaber collection. Those are all cool. But I don't collect dinner plates you know, okay. with the Star Trek characters fair, fair on. enough. I have some posters and stuff that I haven't put up yet. I have got out of a loot crate the dedication plaque in form of a, a vinyl sticker on the side of one of my file cabinets at work for the USS Enterprise. Dope. So that's really cool. I drink out of a Star Trek Enterprise refit coffee mug that my boss says is way too small for me. And I says it holds as much coffee as yours does. (laughs) He goes, yeah, but you're a monstrously tall human being. You should be drinking out of a cereal bowl. So I have, (laughs) I I have that there, but I love Star Trek. I love it. I'm going to run a role-playing game because there's a new RPG coming out for Star Trek from Modifius Entertainment in the UK. So I'm looking forward to Star Trek. It's just that I'm not sure if I'm going to pay for the CBS All Access app. That was the big catch for me. Uh, It's a good thing they're putting the pilot on TV on TV in September so we'll all get a chance to watch it together and then I'll make the decision whether or not to pay the 4.99 a month until that show is off. If they put it on if they put it on Hulu I'll watch it I'm, or any like other thing I'm not going to pay another subscription just for one station. I, I and I totally agree with you but that show has to wow me. I mean it has to wow me. If I'm wowed then yeah I'll pay for it as long as the show is airing. And then once it stops airing, then I'll stop paying for it. You know, I'll take my credit card off. They can't keep charging me if they don't have a card. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's all I got for Star Trek Discovery. It, it All the marketing looks confusing as shit for me, but there's some cool imagery in it. I just don't know what any of it means yet. Let's see. Then there's the panels that never tell us anything. That's The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones. So they, they put on these big presentations, show you what everything that, 
you've already seen, and then they don't answer anybody's question because of fear of spoilers. <laughs> well, I'm I'm hoping that they do a time jump in this season of Walking Dead yeah. because they did it in the comics, mm-hmm. and it worked out brilliantly. It took a little bit to build. I felt like Kirkman just took his time over about 18 issues mm-hmm. to really just build it, so it was just kind of it was kind of dull, but not in a bad way. Right. I, I will say this. There's the tease of a time jump in which at the end of the trailer, which looked great, by the way, you know, they always make the trailers look great for Walking Dead. At the end of the trailer, there is an old man, Rick, with a gray beard looking at a cane up against his door, and he's just laying in bed going, huh. Rick has two hands in that sh- in he that sure, show, huh? Yeah, they're gonna do. They're gonna keep it too. That was a decision Kirkman made. Well, that's that's good. You know, I like so. that they've separated those enough to not be just completely mimics. Yeah, or who knows? He might lose a leg instead. You know, I mean, you got to think yeah. about budget when you do that sort of stuff. Well, they've they've done things from the comics, and what they'll do is they'll just swap what character yeah, happens to. There you go. So they talked about The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead. Stranger Things is coming back for season two on October 28th. Um, I'm happy about that, but who knows, because it was a thriller video with the Stranger Things characters in there. I don't know how else to describe it. It was dark. It was creepy. It had all the same characters in it, but I'm looking forward to it. It didn't have... CG Michael Jackson around no, kids, did no, it? No, there was no CG Michael. It was just the song Thriller. Oh, okay, okay. They talked about, did you watch Westworld on HBO? Nope. Nope, that, okay. That that might be a show if you get like uh, HBO Go or something like that in the future. I do have that. Okay, so it it is a great show, and Comics Luminary Ed Brubaker writes for that show. Yeah, that was kind of the one thing that, that got me interested in it. Yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, as I said, I don't watch a whole lot right. of TV. I watch wrestling, and even that I kind of keep up with. Sure. It's, I jump in and out of it. If, if you're in the mood for a science fiction piece about, you know, what is consciousness, what is alive versus not alive, what's, you know, what separates, what's the dividing line between sentience and not, it's a great show to watch. And they did some great visuals in this and some wonderful performances by a lot of actors. Anthony Hopkins. In a TV show? Yeah. He was the guy that created the park. Then you have Jeffrey Wright was in it. Just a lot of great people. And I mean, there's a lot of shows. There were some veterans from Lost in it. Tandy Newton has handed in the first great performance in like the last 20 years that she's given. Uh, she was wonderful in that. So yeah, good show. So Westworld's coming back for a season two sometime next year, as well as American Gods. A lot of stuff, and they're probably going to announce more comic book and pop culture tie-ins between now and next year, Adam. I don't know if, if even I have the bandwidth for all this consumption. Uh, I mean, it's just taking over. That's exactly what I mean. Comics have taken over the world. They really have. And, and a lot of people, it's weird because it's still considered niche yep. somewhat, but when you look at it, it's dominant. But you know what's cool about it, in a way, is what's cool about having so much is you get to choose what you really want to watch. You don't have to have it all. My dad tries to have it all yeah. because as a kid, he didn't have a whole lot, so he took what he had. Huh. I, I remember he got me into comics yeah. as a way to stay into comics because... As a married man in his 30s, you know, he couldn't... It wasn't socially accepted. During his time, yeah. Uh, you know, during the 80, late 80s, 90s, yeah. you know, as a, as a pro- working professional. Sure. To enjoy that kind of stuff. And he would he would take me to the comic shops. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he would watch 
X-Men with me. Cool. He watched Batman the Animated Series with me. Nice. And it wasn't until I was 18 or 19 that I realized that he watched that stuff for him because more than anything else, because he was still watching that shit after I moved out of the house. How about that? That's pretty cool. He was living vicariously through you. And that was exactly it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's kind of neat in a way. Yeah. And he would tell me like, oh, this movie, you know, this comic book movie from the seventies and this, and he kind of liked everything just because it's what he had. Right. And it was, well, there was so much less product out at that time. Yeah. So he just enjoyed it. The fact that a comic book, whatever made the screen and it was kind of like a victory for him. That's right. He, he, he's definitely around to see the final victory of the nerds. So. Yeah, so now it's everywhere, and he's, he's watching it. He's eating it up, and he's loving it. Yes. Well, Adam, I hate to say it, but without talking about what the final edit's going to be, we're already at an hour and 54 minutes. I'm not surprised. There was a lot of stuff to break down, and I just want to thank our listeners sitting there listening to us prattle on about all things media at San Diego, as well as our makeup awards for (laughs) for forgetting the few Eisners at the beginning of the show, the Hall of Fame and the Russ Manning and the the other awards there. So anyway, Adam, I think we should tie it up with how we normally tie it up. Where can the kids find you online? Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Adam S. Messinger. I don't update as much as I would like to. Uh, and I've kind of been slock, slacking overall in that department, but I promise to put more stuff up there. More Midnighter Mondays. There's only one Monday in the week, though. Well, just keep doing it then. Okay. Okay. And and post some other shit once in a while. All yeah, right, and I, I promise if when you post, I'll post. Okay. Okay. I'll find something to take a picture of. Meanwhile, on the socials for me, I'm at tw- I'm I'm at Jimmers with three M's on Twitter. At Jimmers with five M's on Instagram. I'm on Facebook as Jim Mason. And the official page for the Graphic Content Podcast is on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Graphic Podcast. So until next time, Adam, what are we... You're put... Oh, my God. He's putting his finger up. I honestly... That was like a... That wasn't I have something else. You do that when you say you have something else. I do, but that was more like just me repositioning comfort level. Oh, my God. What are we going to do until next week, Adam? I guess we'll go read a comic. And after you read that comic, (laughs) listen to us on graphic content. See you next week.